programming everything gets basically messed up, it, it self-destructs, it kills itself. Yeah. What would happen if it didn't self-destruct? Um, so that's when you get the, the tumors, the malignant or benign tumors. So if it, it doesn't, yeah, so if it starts to accumulate, that's because it's not self-destructive. Well, how does it have a kill switch? Like, it, is that just part of your DNA? Like, every cell has a kill switch inside of itself? Boom. Live. Good to go. Yep. So we're live. So uh, another episode of Adversity Kings. We've got special guest Will Blodgett. Am I saying that correctly? Yeah, Blodgett. Will Blodgett. Awesome yeah. to have you, bro. So, Will, you, you are a chemical engineer, a chemist, Yeah. right? Yeah, I go back and forth. Go back and forth. <laughs> now, are you on the path to pursuing a doctorate in, would it be one of those or? Both? Yeah, one of them. Uh, yeah, so I did my undergrad in chemistry, chemical engineering. Yeah. Just finished up my chemistry stuff about um, maybe two semesters ago. And I've uh, been working as a chemist part-time and then uh, finishing a degree in chemical engineering. Uh, just to kind of have that on my resume. Um, and then kind of like opening up. Uh, yeah, I can go into like the differences between the, the two. But then uh, for my uh, going for a doctorate next year, uh, put in some applications, got some good responses, some bad responses. But at the end, I still have options. So yeah. next year I'll be um, pursuing my doctorate in chemistry. Will it be Illinois? Um, so I'm in between a few places. I'll either be in uh, New York City, uh, New Orleans, or Houston, depending on. Before we start diving into everything, oh for sure, who's who do you look up to the most in the field that you're in? Field I'm in. Is there like uh, maybe that's a hard question? Oh no no no. Um, I would say I've got like uh, uh, like kind of celebrities I look up to in my field, and then um, more personal. Uh, people I've met that I look up to in my field. Uh, what got so so going into like the uh, the celebrities, I'd say uh, uh, Marie Curie is probably my favorite chemist. She's like just god level inspirational. She was um, a Polish uh, refugee to France during uh, World War One, World War Two, somewhere around then. Uh, she learned uh, chemistry and physics by sitting outside of the classroom that her husband was taking and taking notes through the door because um, women were allowed in the classrooms at the yeah. time. Um, from all of that, they end up starting their own kind of family research center. She goes on to be the first um, scientist to win two Nobel Prizes in two different areas of science just from uh, she discovered radiation uh, like uh, uh, atomic radiation um, uh, from elements that are breaking down and then uh, also discovered a few uh, elements on the periodic table. Yep. Um, so just that that whole story is just insane. So, and yeah. Now she's if she studied uh, discovered radiation is she older than am like is she? Like, oh yeah, this was like um, early 1900s, okay. early to mid 1900s. Okay, is she still around? No, no, no. Okay. <laughs> she, yeah, she ends up so her discovery ends up uh, killing her. All the radiation ended up giving her radiation poisoning. Wow. Working with uh, radon, like because they were just when they're discovering it, they don't even know the like um, the byproducts of like if you're dealing with radioactive chemicals, they didn't even know that they were radioactive. So you just see like a stone sitting on the table, and there's actually notes in her binder that um, she left a sample in a drawer on a piece of paper. And it had burned holes in the piece of paper, and she just kind of wrote it down. But what that was was just this, like, horrible radiation that's coming off of it that's, like, burning paper and then ended up giving her – it's highly carcinogenic. Is that um, – so – and do those carcinogens, do they 
then produce cancer or yeah so so um what the radiation ends up doing is uh it's these kind of beams of light only it's a frequency you can't see and it's a, a much higher energy than the light we can see all around us yeah and what happens is that light which is like which is called like bad light it's called ionizing radiation um can hit your cells and you've got dna dna is in your all of your cells and it's programmed for like oh your dna says you got a foot there you got a foot there and you're going to put your big toes on this spot and all of this like is the programming for what makes you you yeah and what the radiation does is it takes it and it tears the um the copies of the, the like instructions yes and so uh, what can end up happening is 99 point, this happens all the time. The instructions get damaged. DNA is pretty fragile. Um, it's happening a million times in your body right now, but your cells um, are programmed to kill themselves. If they say, oh, this, this doesn't match up, this, we're not doing what we need to do, the cell will die. And then it's just a single cell and you've got a million cells, so you're good. It just keeps going. Um, but there's these uh, specific um, times when that process of the cell killing itself goes wrong and so it keeps replicating with the wrong instructions and so that's where tumors come from it's these massive clumps of cells that are just growing and growing and growing from these messed up instructions that you have from the radiation hitting you from that's why when you um, go to the beach and you put on sunscreen you're blocking out a lot of the radiation like that that comes from the sun but if you've got like a gram of highly radioactive material i mean think of like um uh uranium types of things like that uh and other things and it's going to damage your cells and then you've got a high probability of it messing up and accumulating these tumors and so tumors can either be benign which means it's just a clump of cells it's yeah. got the wrong information it's just sitting there and they remove it it's all good or it can be um, malignant and that's where cancer comes in um, if the doctor finds a malignant tumor, that means it is pulling resources from your body, that massive cells that shouldn't be there, whether it's a lump and, or whatnot, um, it shouldn't be there in your body. And instead of just sitting there, it is pulling resources off of your body. And so it slowly kills you that way. So, um, what, what's funny is that you fight fire with fire. So a lot of our cancer treatments right now are chemotherapy which uses the radiation to actually kill those cells specifically wow but um but yeah i kind of went on a tangent there so but, <laughs> yeah. when, and, and and what protects us is that little vest just protects us when we get x-rays yeah so that so that vest blocks out like uh probably 99 percent of that of x-rays um that that hit you and it's just like the reason why it's so heavy is it's lead and lead can absorb radiation very well it's where you've got like a nuclear facility the nuclear core is almost always like encased in like concrete and i always lead. feel like it's hitting other areas though because it's like this oh, giant man. cannon and i'm like oh yeah it's this, it's, this it's, vest it's is not covering everything that that i mean yeah when you think about it that way though but they're also aiming them directly on you yeah so there's parts of the vest that they um so like when you go to the dentist um and they shoot the x-rays what they do is they monitor so you report your medical records to your dentist your doctor whoever's got it so that way on any given year you're not given they know they have a million studies on how much x-ray each person can take yeah. per year with with causing no um damages and whatnot so um when you go to the dentist you don't get your x-rays done every single time and that's because they monitor how much x-rays you're being exposed to now, when a nuclear plant melts down, yeah. how do people just like, well, like for Chernobyl, for example, uh, yeah. for example, 
how how do individuals like walk into that area and just die from all the radiation? You know what I mean? They, it oh, makes yeah. it seem like you need like a mask to even like navigate through. Oh yeah, you need a full hazmat suit. So what's going on with like a nuclear? There's a million different reasons why a nuclear plant will melt down. But once that kind of happens and you're kind of in the room with it, what's happening is you're being hit by a ton of uh, radiation in. Um, uh, that's like insanely high energy and what it causes is the other atoms in your body all the atoms in your body to uh, become unstable um, and start to radiate away and so you've got like um, if you think about like like dust when a nuclear bomb goes off and there's dust in the air that's that same type of stuff that's happening in a nuclear meltdown that's kind of all the stuff around so if you're inhaling or if you're getting it caught in your hair then you've got all of these particles that like what I was talking about with Marie Curie dying because she was working with these samples all day. It's just because it gets caught in your body and then it just starts shooting all of this radiation throughout you. So you've got like microscopic amounts of this dust that you might not even be able to see with the naked eye um, can still contain thousands of atoms that are all breaking down and shooting out high beams of radiation that are damaging your DNA. Would that and, death be like suffocating or like what would ha I always wonder like do you implode? Does your body melt from the inside? Like It's very very slow for what it is it's not as slow as maybe cancer but um i'm not an expert on how fast that, like that happens radiation. and that radiation like does but it's very i always felt like hairs. you like walk into that area and just like pass out die oh no no you say yeah you can walk in you can probably i mean this is completely just a guess but i could i would say you'd probably be in there for like maybe two days and then you'd start to feel effects of it and whatnot but um uh, maybe that's a bit of an elongated thing, but at, at a certain point, your body just kind of starts showing the symptoms of like, oh, my bones are creaking, my chest is aching, my yeah. jaw. There's, there was a, uh, um, you know the, uh, you know when watch faces glow, yes. or like they've got little like things where you put light on it, it glows. Yeah. What they used to use is, um, this is way back um, before we knew about uh, like how damaging the radiation was. What they used to use was this radioactive paint that was just the same type of radiation that comes from those nuclear bombs nuclear power plants meltdowns things like that and um it was uh primarily women in factories would be painting the numbers onto watch faces so that way they would glow um because women have better motor skills and can um be more precise with yeah that and they would have the radioactive paint on the brushes and they would lick the brush to get it a pinpoint so they'd be licking all this radiation whatnot and there's gruesomely horrible cases of uh, of women with their jaws just falling out because they were just exposed to all that radiation and everything. Wow. Yeah. That's so, nuts. Now, know. now diving more into your studies, I, yeah, I was yeah. reading. So you've spent a majority of your career studying uh, the solvency of the is – is it the chemicals in sunscreen? Yeah, yeah. So, so um, yeah, for the first project that I worked on, like um, – so it started in college, starting to do research um, – uh, pretty much day one and then it graduated would be like my whole time in college um, uh, presented at conferences and everything but it was a, a model for a chemical reaction that so if you think about um, so so switch the topics here to like uh, producing uh, like any chemicals and whatnot you're gonna have um, yeah let's take sunscreen for example um, a lot of these processes have like organic solvent wastes and what you can think of organic solvents as is like oils it doesn't mix with water um, it's, it dissolves other things like um, Kumarin, which is the molecule I was working with. Um, and so a big problem is you need these big, giant drums 
that contain this, um, that can dissolve this compound that you're trying to make so you can react it. Uh, and the big problem is, is that for every, um, if you use just water, uh, water is a great solvent because it's clean. It's everywhere. You can distill it and get everything out of it. It's, and we know everything about it. It's completely safe with all these oils and everything. We know how to use them and everything. Uh, a lot of them are extracts for when we drill for oil. Um, and then we make gasoline, uh, uh, gasoline, um, uh, air, uh, jet fuel, um, uh, different things. We get all these other chemicals and, um, we've got like, uh, acetone is a pretty common, um, we're going to use for nail polish removers, things like that. Um, but these are all different solvents than water and they're very toxic, harmful. Um, we can't just dump them into a river because that's horribly degrading the, environment it contaminates water and everything so we've got different solvents that we need because um, how oil and water don't mix some things like salt dissolves in water but doesn't dissolve in oil and then some things like kumarin and sunscreen um, uh, can dissolve in oil but not in water so it's very hard to use water as a solvent to make these products and uh what ends up happening is they have to use large, large amounts of these organic solvent oils um, to make these products. And for every uh, bit that you use, you have to recycle it, contain it, or um, find some way to get rid of it without um, getting it into the atmosphere or getting it into the water or just dumping it in a field somewhere. So you got to do a ton of processes with this stuff. And it uses a ton of energy, which uses fossil fuels. It, it uh, waste time and like production and everything. And so, um, uh, my professor I was working with, uh, we were like, well, why, why can't we use water? <laughs> well, it doesn't, it doesn't dissolve in, in that. So you can't officially use water except for, uh, when you introduce these things called nano cavities, nano cavities are single molecules. Um, so just think of like a hundred atoms and they're like in the shape of a ring. Um, and cause you got a little cavity in the middle. Yeah. Um, and so if you think of, uh, if you've got, uh, uh, like if this water bottle was filled with, with, uh, like half water and then half oil, you could put salt in it, you could shake it. And then all the salt would just dissolve into the water. It yeah. wouldn't dissolve into the oil. The oil would be separated on top. Water would be on the bottom with the salt. If you were to put Kumarin then into it and then shake it, you would get, salt water on the bottom and kumarin and oil on the top we um and so we're trying to get the the salt was just an example but we're trying to get the kumarin into the water yeah so what we do is we put these nano cavities into the water and so the nano cavities are these little capsules that have look they look like donuts and the outside of the donut can dissolve into water so when you put the nano cavities inside uh, the oil and water mixture. What are they composed of? They're composed of sugar. Um, cyclodextrin is a very common one. Um, so you basically, and um, this is a bit more in depth, but it's it's a quote unquote simple process to make these nano cavities. They are biodegradable. They're made out of sugar. Are they destructive they're, to the environment or no, in, not at all. ingested? No, you can even. They're they're food safe. Okay. I mean, nobody would ever use them for food, but they, okay. they also use them for medicine delivery. So they, these are things that are actually injected into the okay. body and everything. So these are okay. completely safe. Um, but yeah, it's like a sugar molecule that's wrapped around into a ring. 
and then the outside of it can dissolve into the water. So if you put those in the water, um, you know, shake it up, you've got nano cavities in water and your Kumarin in the oil. But the inside of the cavities is where things get kind of crazy <laughs> as far as science goes. <laughs> yeah. But um, uh, the inside of the cavity is soluble to the oil. So there's no water that can get inside the cavity. But the Kumarin that's on the top can go down into the water by becoming encapsulated into the little uh. things. So now you put nano cavities in the water and then you've got um, uh, your Kumarin in the oil on top. You shake it up. What you get now is you've got nano cavities with the Kumarin in the water and a little bit of Kumarin remaining in the oil. Yeah. So now we've officially gotten the unsoluble Kumarin that's normally not soluble in water. But the oil won't go in into the capsules? No, the oil the oil might um, go into the capsules, but that's also fine because as long as we get the Kumarin in there, there might be some like, if you fill in the rest with oil, then that's fine because the the um, you can still do the reaction as long as the Kumarin's in the capsule. There might be some solvent inside the capsule. That's fine because it's just kind of there, just hanging out. Yep. Um, and so what's good about that is um, you can optimize that and say, well, instead of using this entire water bottle to do our reaction with all of um, the oil that we don't want, we want to reduce the amount of oil we're using overall. Um, well, you can condense it and say, okay, we're only going to have like 10 to 20% of this water bottle be the oil. So we've reduced it by 80 to 90%. Then we put nano cavities in here. We've got a really concentrated um, amount of the chemicals at the top. You then put, you spin this, uh, you spin the entire thing, the oil and the water don't mix. And then you, uh, it's a photocatalytic reaction, which is just a big word that means when you hit it with light, um, it reacts. Uh, so you've got, uh, so when you spin it, the nano cavities go up and then they hit the surface and then they can pull in the Kumarin. Then the Kumarin can go in the water. It can react. And then when it reacts, um, the capsule, if you think about it, it's like kind of like a mold. And you can really control what reaction goes on in there just by um, the shape of it. Uh, so like the if you were kind of like sitting in like if you get into a really tight space, there's only like so many ways that you can move inside that type space. You've got like one of like three options, but when you're just kind of floating around in space, you can make any shape with your body you want. Yep. Kind of think about it that way in terms of like the way the molecules are reacting. Um, and so you can control exactly how that reacts. And then once it reacts, it actually, um, just this, uh, just this part in particular was a while in the research, but, um, uh, it actually moves just to a point where it's like unstable inside of it. So the next time that it goes upwards and hits the oil, it goes back into the oil. Um, okay. So it kind of like goes like from this to like stretching out. And then once it hits the thing, it just escapes and the cavity can grab another one, bring it down, react it, go back up, produce it or release it back into the oil. So then you've got this much oil where you started with Kumarin and then you react it and you get your final product. And so you've reduced all of this um, oil with uh, just water. Wow. So what what is the sole purpose of the experiment then? Is, is, 
is it to create the most biodegradable and I guess uh, earthly efficient solvent? Yeah, pretty much. And um, so have you guys got that then approved? So, no. Uh, what ended up happening is uh, my professor ended up going to another university right as we were finishing up the project. But um, what the, the next stage is because the uh, academic research, which was what that was largely a part of, is like the most fundamental of all fundamentals. And a lot of it is done or almost all of it is done through grant money. Yeah. So government says, hey, university professors, um, go do a ton of research and publish papers and it's all available online. And so now that's because the government paid for it, it's pretty much public access. Yeah. So pretty much any company can take it um, and then use that bare bones science. So we pretty much just prove the process. Um, so that's what a chemist would do. And that actually kind of leads into what chemical engineering is. So um, I, when I was doing these experiments, it was pretty much on the scale of this, this water bottle, Yeah. Um, which is not enough to make an entire plant that makes sunscreen. Yeah. Uh, so then what a chemical engineer would do is take that process that we made in a lab and they would equate it up to reactors the size of this room. Um, so that way we're not just producing like a few grams of our product. We're producing a couple megatons of our product per year. And you can sell that all across the world with that. So, so on the, on the academic side, it's pretty much just getting out the bare bones knowledge of stuff that it's it's like the kind of like a forefront of the unknown which is which is a really cool concept um when you're doing academic research it's stuff that is not known like when you're reading textbooks in school i mean i never read them but <laughs> but, but um but all the textbooks in school uh um are are kind of from these fundamental things in in the classroom that are just built from the ground up the reason why we know the earth's round the reason why we know how to land things on the moon it all comes from this kind of just ground up. We didn't know it could be done before, and we made it happen. When a scientist creates something, do they get the patent for that? They can. They can file for the patent. Um, now, when yeah. like a product or uh, some type of maybe even scientific service is created by that scientist, do they get like uh, commissions off of like sales and things like that? I think of like, you know, as you're explaining this, I'm like, what? what do we do on a day-to-day -day basis you know what i mean that so many different scientists out there are responsible for almost like creating and are they getting paid for it or do just these companies <laughs> that bought it or something and then just put their name on it do, or like who like there's a there's a lot of ways you can make money as a scientist overall um i would say the money's not that great <laughs> but why but, why what so i'm confused on like if the scientists are creating it wouldn't mm -hmm. it make sense for for them to like yeah so like get paid most for it the, yeah um uh so the the scientists kind of do the the fundamental like fundamentals of proof of concept type of thing like the blueprint yeah like the blueprint um the engineers uh you're, which, you're like an architect. You're selling you're selling a blueprint to, you know what I mean? Like if, if, exactly. if there was like architectural companies that were, it's like, here's the blueprint. We're not doing anything else. Exactly. Yeah. So, yeah. So an engineer is the one that takes all of that scientific fundamental research and applies it. Yeah. So like in a lab, a physicist will do a bunch of calculations and calculate gravity and whatnot. An engineer will take that and then um, program a rocket to land on mars based on 
the science done. So um, in terms of like products, I would say in one of the labs I worked in, uh, we were doing some yogurt research and that was a very, um, that professor took a very different approach to um, kind of the academic thing. Two more different along, professors? Two, yeah, two different professors, okay. two different labs. Um, and he took more of the approach of like, so the, that first lab with that was much more proof of concept, publishing papers. It's more about the prestige of like being a good scientist and people knowing, oh, this person did that research or this person's an expert in this. And for, throughout all of the people that I've met in this, they do it primarily because they uh, have a job and make a living and they love what they do. Um, and people love the prestige aspect of it so working in like academia and whatnot uh, a lot of it is like your research your name on top of the paper and you get paid a salary from your um like wherever you're doing research at but um you can file patents if you want to then sell the patent or whatnot so then working with this other professor um, he was much less about the prestige of being like the first one to discover something or do this. He was much more about how can we use scientific principles to make patents, to discover new processes, to make things, and then patent them, and then sell them to a company that's going to use it for something. It's like, um, but just doing the research on its own is so much work. And so he kind of split like half and half into like half doing the research, half doing the patents and selling it and business model type of things. A lot of people, um, especially in the academic climate right now, um, it, it's much like it, it's very, very highly competitive. So um, like I just talked about some of my career goals. I would love to get to a point one day. I'm not there yet, but um, to have my own lab some of my own students, some of my own like postdocs or um, uh, uh, peers, and uh, having my ideas come uh, come from like other places in need. Um, so kind of doing a literature search of like, hey, what's out there and what's being done? Like, oh, this person's making a medicine that combats this. And they mention, well, we haven't yet moved on to making this medicine yet. And then you can go, oh, hey, how would I do that? And so then you go and you say, then you drop a plan on how you're going to discover this new thing. Um, and so it just comes from your mind of, of what you want to create. And then you go out in the lab for a year, two years, six months, and you make it. When you get, uh, but the only place that's willing to let you just think of stuff and then do it is a university. Um, and that's when people become, uh, they, uh, they get uh, a tenure track position. Um, and so when you become a professor, you get um, a tenure track professor, you get like four or five years to prove yourself that you can run a lab, that you can publish papers and produce a ton of um, research that is prestigious. And that is crunch time because at the end of four or five years, you're going to be put up for review and they're either going to say you have unlimited job security for the rest of your life or you need to go find somewhere else to work. <laughs> wow. Who's, so, who's the most prestigious professor out there right now? Oh, out there right now? I think it would be probably one of those Ivy League schools. I was going to say, yeah, Ivy League schools. I'd say... Um, uh, if, uh, professor, I would say the most recent Nobel Prize, or actually not the most recent Nobel Prize, but um, last year's 2020's Nobel Prize was in, uh, I forget, there's two scientists that were primary, uh, Professor, or Dr. Donda, Donna, um, probably butchering that name, but 
her and another scientist, I'm, I'm completely blanking on the name, but they uh, were principal scientists and uh, principal investigators in discovering uh, something called CRISPR technology. And that got everybody insanely excited. That's What's, what's generally CRISPR technology? So, um, so we were just talking about DNA earlier as being the blueprints for yeah. everything. So all living things have it, whether it's grass, bacteria, um, whatnot. Uh, yeah. We actually talked about a few concepts that that's applied to this. So, um, you know, I was saying if your DNA gets messed up, um, then your cell recognizes it and it dies. Dies, yeah. C- kills itself, commits apoptosis. Well, for bacteria, bacterias are just single-celled organisms. So if their DNA gets messed up, it's not very convenient for them to just off themselves. Yeah. Um, so after, uh, so looking at all of the, um, so they were looking at how these de- uh, how these bacteria survive so well, um, and what they found is there's this little, um, let's call it like a machine. It's a protein system, but you could think of it as a machine that goes around inside of the single cell bacteria and always has a permanent copy of the DNA. And it goes through and it says, and it continuously edits and checks. And it says, um, oh, wait, this is out of place. I'm going to snip. It's like a virus software. Yeah, like a virus software. Exactly, exactly. It goes through and it snips the DNA and then it inserts the right DNA and then it sews it back together. And then the bacteria is fine. And it got rid of that mutated DNA. Would that be like cellular regeneration? Um. It could pro- it could potentially lead to that, um, but what that machine ends up doing is you give it a piece of template DNA, and then it will go through any piece of DNA and it will snip snip and edit the DNA to be exactly what you want it to be. Now, um, with the DNA in your body being um, the exact blueprint for what you want to build, and the DNA for grass being exactly the the DNA that it has and your dog and whatnot, they all have its own unique bacteria. Well, there's also um, part of uh, some people's DNA. Uh, People are predisposed to developing cancer at a younger age or blindness or uh, Down syndrome or whatnot. There's all of these things can be contained in DNA um, uh, by just the mutation of the DNA overall. And um, what uh, ends up happening is uh, it can be very, very, very beneficial to have a tool where you can go in and edit your DNA to be exactly what you want it to be. Um, and this comes up for medical reasons and very controversial reasons. So if you could go in and hypothetically 50 years down the line when this technology is polished to a teeth, you could go in and right now it's just kind of uh in the thought bubble process, but you could go in and say, I want this person to have six fingers or an extra thumb on this yeah. side and put that in the blueprints. And I've heard build. of celebrities just paying like a couple hundred grand and being able to adjust exactly. different things with their children, like while they're in the womb or something. Yeah. The, the eye color. Yeah. Or, I've heard yep, the eye color. Eye color. Um, Barbara Streisand had her, she loved the, I don't know if it's one dog or two dogs, but she had these dogs that she loved. Um, and she paid a company to have them duplicated when they died. So she wow. got two of the exact same dogs again. Now, what about mRNA? I yeah. hear that a lot through the, the vaccine and the vaccine. Yeah. Yeah. So um, of all the genetic information that you've got in your cells, DNA is the big one. It's the blueprint. RNA 
is another genetic material, and what RNA's job is is to um, uh, read what do, the. What do DNA and RNA stand for? Uh, deoxyribose nucleic acid and RNA is ribose nucleic acid. Okay. Um, and basically, they're just DNA is a double helix uh, that that spiral ladder. Yep. And then RNA is commonly um, known as like the single helix. So you just take half of the ladder, break it in half, yep. and then spin that. So DNA is like the blueprints. Like you don't want those to get damaged at all ever. What RNA is is the um, basically RNA goes in, reads the DNA, writes it all down, and then translates it out, uh, and then and then uh, takes it out and actually like so. So it's basically they're both they both contain genetic and they both contain the same genetic information. And when you look at a cell, you've got the cell. Uh, if you look at it like a business, look at yeah. it like a business. Um, you've got the the, and this is just my understanding of the business because I spend ninety percent of my time in the lab. Yeah. <laughs> but like a simple model, you've got the boss, and the boss is telling everybody what to do, and he's got the DNA in his office. Yes, all of his RNA um, our messages. Uh, people, uh, yeah, our messengers. Um, uh, will come in, write all the plans down, take it out to their own offices, and do and execute the plan. So is that what is it? M so that's for messenger, messenger, R ribo, yeah. ribo, whatever. Yeah, messenger ribo is nucleic acid. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> so okay. so um, yeah. So the reason why that's been thrown around so much is primarily because of the vaccine. Um, this vaccine, the reason why we were able to make it so fast, um is because it's a brand new technology, safe technology for the record. Yeah. <laughs> but um, but uh, but it's brand new technology where traditionally you would have in in like a, a live virus vaccine. Uh, I I think the tuber tuberculosis vaccine is a live virus or a live vaccine where you've got like a living they amount take, of tuberculosis yeah, living... and then you they inject it in your arm and then it's just a small amount. So you're um, your uh, immune system can see, oh, what is this intruder in the, in the, like, they just send like one tuberculosis guy in and as an intruder. And then all of your security system can go in and say, hey, wait, we, what are you doing here? Let's make sure we know how to fight this guy. So that way, if more of them come in, uh, we can just fight them off easily. And that's what yeah. happens is you, you get completely immune from tuberculosis. Um, from just a shot in your arm, from just giving your body a little bit of information on, on what it is, it can produce the antibodies and everything in your body to be prepared to, um, to, uh, to fight it if you're ever exposed to it. So then, um, like with the flu shot, though, it's not live, it's, it's dead, and they basically just inject a dead um, version of the virus into your body, and it can take that. It doesn't need to be living. Um, with the mRNA vaccines... They don't actually take any of the like COVID. Uh, it's not COVID at all. It's just the genetic information. So instead of sending an intruder into your body, a little bit of an intruder into your body, so that way it learns, it just sends uh, like a report on them. So you hand a file of like here of like how to fight COVID to your um, to your immune system and then they read it and they know how to fight it just from the instruction manual that we handed them, not like the actual intruder coming in and meeting them. Um, so it's just like, uh, the mRNA can be injected in and then the, the, all your, your cells can, or your immune system can read all that information and say, 
What about the individuals that are like, it's it's changing your DNA? You know what I mean? No, like, I don't. As far as changing your DNA, I don't think there's a, even a, at least that I've heard of, there's not a single case. Like, of course, with anything that is on a mass, mass, mass scale, such as like the entire globe, there's going to be uh, like flukes and, yeah, and problems. Like, if you think about like, if there's a 99.99% safety rating on this vaccine which is just a uh i don't have a specific number on that but there's still as we're talking yeah. about this i i think of the individuals there's i think of a majority of my friends are like anti-vax and but like then i have friends and family that are vaxxed i'm i'm in the middle still i'm, I'm not vaxxed but i'm not anti i'm not anti really yeah. anything i'm very open-minded and uh but i think for me it's like i don't know anybody that's died from covid but i also don't know anybody that's died from the vaccine you know yeah. what i mean so it's kind of like yeah i'm just in between and the individuals i do look to learn from typically i like to learn up of like a credible individual opposed to just some other neanderthal like me that like has no idea what the fuck we're talking about so it's like oh yeah you know we can we can rant and (laughs) talk about how we're not taking the vax or this that and the other but at the end of the day it's like what do you actually know about like breaking it down to a scientific like whatever the fuck you know what i mean lingo and terms and all that shit would be so I, th- I think that's really intriguing to me. Also with the cells, you said, you know, when a, when a cell, uh, the programming and everything gets basically messed up, it, it self-destructs, it kills itself. Yeah. What would happen if it didn't self-destruct? Um, so that's when you get the, the tumors, the malignant or benign tumors. So if it doesn't, yeah. So if it starts to accumulate, that's because it's not self-destructing. Mm. Well, how does it have a kill switch? Like, is, is that just part of your DNA? Like every cell has a kill switch in cell, inside of itself? Pretty much, yeah. Um, y- your cells have um, a million different or, or a couple dozen different machines um, inside of them that either that s- store DNA, translate DNA, transcribe DNA, um, build proteins or protect the thing. Um as far as the specific chemical messages that go on to commit apoptosis, I'm not exactly certain on. What's apoptosis? Oh, apoptosis is the a cell self-destruction. Okay. Yeah. Apoptosis sounds like it's, it's popping itself up. <laughs> I know. Yeah. So um, I think my, my next thing is is kind of back into the vaccines of yeah. uh, in, in correspondence with COVID. What are your thoughts on, uh, you know, regardless of the vaccine, what are your thoughts on individuals just – proactively preventative measures of like vitamin D. You know what I mean? I'll hear a lot yeah. of that on Rogan and shit like that. Or it's like, what about people working out and vitamin D and, and just taking those, those preventative measures of like, what are you doing for your health? What are you putting into your body? Oh um, yeah. You know, are, are those factors do you think that should be also mentioned? You know what I mean? Oh, for sure. For sure. Um, and I think a lot of the controversy with the vaccine is less to do with science and more to do with how much authority should the government have. Yeah. And and that's when you kind of see to I I'm a very like in the middle person as well. Like I have my lawyer vaccinated. on to kind of like cuz I was worried about the yeah. mandates. So I was like I could care less, but at the same time I kind of care. Yeah. But like he he went straight to Roe versus Wade, you know what I mean? Where exactly, like, yeah. You you have rights to your body. Yeah, you're yeah, it's uh yeah, cuz the because technically by, yeah, what Roe v. Wade was, wasn't actually a case over abortion. Um, it was a case over privacy. Yeah. So, yeah, when you go to your doctor, um, anything that happens, any interaction that you tell your doctor, it's 
HIPAA. It, yeah, HIPAA, exactly. It's completely protected. And so in order for the government to ban abortion, it would have to know that you were going to the doctor to get an abortion in the first place. Yeah. And so that's a, that's a privacy. Purpose. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's a violation of your privacy. Um, and so even though the case in point was abortion, it was more over the privacy aspect of it. And so can the government mandate that you show your vaccination status or your your medical history anywhere you go or mandate that it does actually happen to you? Is it like all this? So there's a lot of questions in the air over that. Um, and I, I think it kind of falls in line with just how politically divided of a culture we are right now. Um, and then when you just introduce something like vaccines, it's going to go split both ways yeah, exactly. with, like, with that. So pretty much anything you bring up on the mass scale is going to become controversial like this. Yeah. So I think that's what a lot of the vaccine and, and anything that that's going to be delivered from a political standpoint of view is going to be probably be cut in half. Yeah. Probably from here on out for a long time. I just imagine it'll just be cut in half of like, this is what's right. This is, you know what I mean? Like, oh yeah. Everybody will have, well, this is what's right. This is what's right. But, uh, back into your other studies, yeah. um, now with with the it was the milk into yogurt yeah right and what was the purpose of that finding new products finding making yummy yogurt <laughs> so making just ultimately just to make a better yogurt yep but now where you when i first met you i i, I believe you were also studying um and correct me if i'm wrong like just ultimately how we produce food or something and and how oh, we yeah, do my, that more efficiently yeah my uh yeah, so I work for a startup. We're making basically just products that reduce agricultural waste. Yeah. Because when you think about uh, all the... Um, you said something like 60% or something of like foods wasted? Yeah, there's like crazy, crazy amount of like... There's like 30% of food doesn't even make it to anybody's table. Or some... Is there any way for it to be redirected to areas of extreme like poverty and hunger? Um. Honestly, that's uh, if if we can even get it to make it that far, because it's not necessarily a matter of so you you grow a field of apples, um, you take your apples off the um, off the thing, you put them on a truck, and then you ship them throughout the United States. Then they go into either um, they might go into like a cleaning facility, then they transfer into another what place. What chemicals and, are being put into our food to? Make yeah. them last longer. I I can I can as you're saying this, I'm like, yeah, yeah, dude, how the hell are they getting this food to last this long? I put a banana in my office for two days, it's brown. You know what I mean? So yep. how are we getting bananas to go, and all you know all this food to go and last? There's a there's a large amount of chemicals that are used in the United States. We've got like maybe median laws as to in terms of the amount of chemicals that can be used. Um, everything's safe. Uh, but everything comes with that. Like if you get fresh produce, you should wash it. There's no end. Um, and like, when you think about like, like you said, like you put a banana on your counter for like two days and it's starting to brown. They, a lot of that is because it's picked unripe and then it ripens in the shipping process. Yeah. And then they keep it in the back room until it's just 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 starting to like become yellow and then they only sell like a consistency consistent ripeness yeah so they can control it that way pretty well um but then when you're growing it and you need to keep bugs off of it and you need to keep fungus off of it or primarily you when you're growing it you need to keep bugs off of it so um they'll put pesticides and things organic 
doesn't mean that they don't use pesticides. It means I, I think it means something along the lines of it's a whole list of regulations, but it's something along the lines of like less or just certain completely safe pesticides have to be used. Um, because there are natural pesticides um, and things like that. Are they harmful for the soil? Um, no. The most harmful thing for the soil is is how we have just monocultures of crops. So if you look at like um, so any... So is, is that just like huge... Just like think of a cornfield. Yeah. Like where in nature do you see that much of just one single thing even yeah. grass look at like a su suburban lawn with like no weeds no clovers no anything just just grass there's a ton of like people fertilize their lawns and whatnot things grow in nature all the time without fertilizer if you go to like forest somewhere you got things sprouting up you go to the rainforest oh man like there's yeah, just it's so the it's all over the place but there's a ton of different stuff so there's some plants that are growing in the ground that will produce nitrogen and put nitrogen into the soil, which is one of the primary components that you need. And that's one of the things that you, when you fertilize your lawn, you're putting nitrogen in your lawn because in your lawn, when you've just got like Kentucky bluegrass growing, um, it, only, it's, it sucks up all the nitrogen and it never produces any nitrogen. Clovers are, yeah, clovers um, will actually put nitrogen into the soil. So that's why farmers do uh, crop rotations where they'll do corn one year and then soybeans the next year or some type of legume because corn will pull out the nutrients soybeans will put some nutrients in but even after crop rotating and all of that you're still going to be depleting the nutrients ever so slightly over and over and so people have to put more fertilizers down things like that um but there's a lot of crazy environmental research going on about how we can grow different plants together because the problem is is we've we've made this massive, massive system where you grow a ton of corn and the corn has been genetically modified to be able to grow like 16 different stalks of, that's an exaggeration, but like 16 different stalks of corn on one plant and the plants don't have to be a foot apart. They can be an inch apart. So we've increased the density of the food we can produce. And then you just take a giant plow and you plow through it and it just sorts all the corn into one bin and then you can ship it off and, and do all that. Um, but that's like putting tremendous pressures on the nutrients in the soil that you have to fertilize, the amount of bugs and things like that. Um, in nature, things don't normally get just destroyed by bugs. But if you imagine so much food being in one place, think about bugs, think about rabbits and ferrets and things like that, or maybe not ferrets, but but uh, like moles and things yeah. like that that get into it. There's just all this food that's out there. The open slave to use so much chemicals. So many chemicals to like uh, get things away from it, whereas in, in a nature setting, um, it would just be spread out and yeah. it wouldn't be so dramatically affected. But we need to be able to be continuously producing more and more food every year to keep up with the growing population. So we have to balance our strategies of the crop rotations, of finding new crops that are better than others to have. Um, like a lot of times there's something about like um, like, uh, the difference between like almond milk, uh, almonds take a ton of water and a ton of time to grow. Whereas, um, oat milk, oats are, take very little water and very little time to grow. I like oat milk. Um, yeah, yeah. So yeah, the oat milk is one of the best milks, uh, in terms of like environmental impact compared to almonds, which I think there's a bit more protein in. I don't but think it I do take... almond cause I heard there was like more like soy in it or something and i heard like soy like relate to like estrogen and 
I was, oh yeah. I have no idea. I was just oh like, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, 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 no. Yeah, these are all. Um. Yeah, I know with soy, there's yeah, estrogen mimics are. Estrogen isn't a bad thing though for men. I mean, they don't realize. So I think estrogen produces your sexual desire. As as a, I don't know if that's as a human in general, but I I know from yeah. from some of my studies of as a as a guy, you're technically I believe like if you completely depleted your estrogen, you would deplete your your uh, sexual desire. So it's like you don't want to completely eradicate your your estrogen because a lot of guys. I think they think with estrogen, I think uh, it causes, like, you see those big steroid dudes that have, like, gyno or shit like that. They yeah. think that's from estrogen. It's from it's it's from other things outside of that. From uh, Listen to Andrew Huberman. He's on Joe Rogan a lot. And yeah. uh, he's, he kind of explains it more in depth. Uh, Derek, more plates, more dates. He kind of explains it. But I, I get real into the, all that stuff. With, with the agricultural movement and with your – now you're working with a startup then. Yeah. What are your key takeaways and thoughts on – just like if you had to wrap it up in, in, into a, you know, like a, a paraphrased version, like what, what have you guys accomplished so far? And like, what have you really gotten uh, out of your time that you've spent doing this? Time that I've spent doing this, what I've personally got it is a lot of great lab experience in, in industry um, and primarily having so much academic research um, relative to the amount of relative to my career, um, which has been very short so far. <laughs> um, uh the difference in like uh, everything is like how can we turn research into dollar signs? Yep. Whereas in in academia, it's how can we make breakthroughs on unknown discoveries? Yeah. So that's kind of been like a per- and it's been super interesting just taking like actual research and then boiling it down to a number at the end. Normally, I'm not searching for numbers. I'm searching for like a peak on a graph that indicates something's happening. Um, but I mean, if it's not making money, then it doesn't really matter in industry. Yeah. Um, so that's been a personal takeaway, which has been super, super interesting. Cause I mean, I'm doing the same things in a different location, but then when it all comes down to the end of the report, one's dollar signs, one's breakthroughs. Um, but overall on the impact that, uh, uh, Hazel's been making, um, I, I think it's, it's, it's really exciting. Um, I, I think it's, it's going to keep going. I, um, and whatnot i'm not too uh big in the business end of things but um i mean overall it's a great experience great experience and um just learning a lot more about kind of like because with the industrial research and everything it's also like meeting the needs of the economy and kind of learning overall like we need to take a more sustainable approach to a lot of things because like you were saying like there's people going hungry and we're somehow losing 30% or some large percent of food before it even hits the table, let alone the amount that we then throw away after that. Yeah. I um, think, uh, Musk was, was getting harassed by somebody here recently about like, Hey, you should just, you should just donate and end world hunger. Yeah. And he was like, well, let's put together a plan and I'll do it. Oh, and, yeah. uh, I, I think he, he started to imply like, you know, uh, just, just ultimately, I think also in regard to like taxes about him being like the highest tax individual, he's like, it's clear that, the the money isn't going in the right hands because you know i i think of it like i think it goes back to the our politics and i'm like the individuals in charge you know not not taking anything away from anybody uh but but maybe their our systems aren't you know as efficient as they should or could be where it's like we just lose so much that we could probably get a lot more done with even less you know what i mean i think of just all the tax dollars and, and just every every system we have in place but on a macro level of like how much big shit are we just like shitting the bed on? 
Oh yeah, there's the um I remember in high school uh my like 10th grade English teacher, we were having we spent like a three week unit on debates. Yeah. So everybody picked a side of a topic. And one of the things that he said that and he would and then after like the students went one on one and debated, he would kind of play like the middle ground and like say like his uh support and for each side of the things he said. Um and the one was over like should uh, I don't know specifically the topic but like should taxes be higher um, and like for who and so then uh, or oh wait, it was should we increase taxes or lower government spending uh, that's what it was and so he said if we taxed like the one percent a hundred percent of their net worth then the government would spend that in about like a month it's like all the one percent that's supposed to like solve the world's problems of like providing wow. free healthcare and all that, and education and all this thing it's like in what we provide now they're running up the national debt faster than anything that, on the dude planet. i hate going to the national debt <laughs> oh, it's like the i get stress. scared i'm like when's our cutoff like <laughs> yeah. my amex has a cutoff you know what i mean oh my like gosh. it'd be telling me like all right slow down slow down slow down so uh uh that's hilarious um what do I want to get into next? So you you, you also teach STEM mm. in Chinatown. Yeah. So what does STEM even stand for? So science, technology, uh, engineering, okay. and mathematics. Okay. It's this like acronym that's started to be thrown around. Now, is that like at a school or is that just like a... It's at a nonprofit tutoring center. Okay. There. So yeah, during the weeks, I get to be an after school tutor and just students come from school over to the center get to build relationships with them I've seen a lot of them from freshman year to graduate um it's been great uh and talk about the day up with homework career advice things like that and then every once in a while i'll get an opportunity to teach um like either an sat prep uh an english class i taught over the summer uh, a um and right now i'm in the middle of doing a, a stem enrichment course so uh on saturdays um having like a bunch of activities right now they're um, they've got glue sticks or they've got hot glue. There's three teams. They've got hot glue guns and uh, popsicle sticks, and they have to build a bridge that can support like 50 pounds. These are just middle schoolers that are. I'd give them like some kind of basic design and just let them go at it, and they just have a ton of fun. Like, is that actually possible? Like, oh yeah, it's crazy what you is can it do. Is it an just... unlimited amount of glue sticks or or popsicle sticks? Um, no, you actually don't even need that many. Um, what? If you just the structures all um because you basically for a bridge you just need uh something to walk across or put stuff on and then the top supports yep. and so like when you got the golden gate bridge all those triangles that are yeah. up and whatnot triangles are just such a strong shape in general like when you try to collapse a triangle like it's only falling in on itself if you're to think of like an octagon yeah it's like super flimsy yeah. versus a triangle like it's pretty snug in there so they build these triangles on top of each other in a way where all of the weight gets put on the, the triangle point. stress that stress points um favorite movie oh goes back and forth between maybe pulp fiction grand budapest hotel or 
Yeah, I'd say Pulp Fiction, Grand Budapest Hotel. I'm big Quentin seen, Tarantino and... I don't know if I've seen Grand Budapest Hotel. We have to, I always Wes Anderson. Down. If you're into, like, indie stuff, he's, like, the most mainstream indie. Have you seen this, yeah. Aiden? Grand Budapest Hotel? Yeah. Is it good? It's a great movie. Oh, perfect. That's the right answer. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I've definitely seen Pulp Fiction. I feel like everybody's seen Pulp Fiction. Oh, yeah. Um, Have you seen... Uh, was it the Boondock Saints? It gives me a similar vibe. Have you seen the Boondock Saints? Gives me a, I think it gives it gives me a similar vibe to Pulp Fiction. I recommend. Oh, absolutely. What, do you like Marvel movies? Um, I I honestly haven't seen a Marvel movie after Iron Man two. What? <laughs> I know I've Dude. been under a rock. Um, so I guess you know I'm asking about movies. That's yeah, my yeah, passion yeah. outside of business. What's your passion? You know, aside from me assuming you know everybody loves movies like me. What's your passion outside of everything that you do? My passion outside, um, honestly, just building relationships my friends have become such a my friends and family have become such a strong foundation when everything is super stressful yeah that like at the end of the day there's nothing i would rather do than sit down and catch up with my like friends, have a meal or just hang out have a meal hang out whatnot do you have um, a favorite food place or a favorite food like that's ooh. the next thing for me i'm a foodie oh yeah um there's this place uh, that a friend's mom, um, when a friend's mom came into town, she took us uh, to this place. It's up. I'm going to butcher the name. It's like Padlanka or something, but it's this super, super authentic Polish food um, that is up uh, in like the Wicker Park region of Chicago. Yeah. Um, and it is like, and the, the menu kind of rotates uh, and it's ran by a family and it's like, uh, it, it's just a it's a super cool atmosphere. You've got um, people that are you've got like two people that speak English and then the rest speak Polish, so you know the food's going to be really good. Yeah, <laughs> and yeah. Uh, their menu, their soups change every uh, every day, like whatnot. Um, but I love going there, and then I I love going to places where um, it's family owned, and you can go. What do you have that's good? And then they go, I know what you want. And it's like, oh, perfect. Like, bring me the house special. Bring me what your favorite thing is. I love yeah. trying new foods and everything. But wait, what's, how about you? Food? I need to meet more foodies, yeah. Uh, I love, I've tried every major, I've pretty much, I've tried a lot of major restaurants in Chicago, but again, I don't like going. Uh, they don't like to travel. So I just eat at the Capitol Grill right down the road uh, for here. But my favorite restaurant is Napa Prime in, in Pittsburgh. That's Napa where I worked for, for two years. And uh, they have, uh, cut a wagyu a5 wagyu and it's a yeah so you're familiar with a5 oh, wagyu yeah. so they bring out a marble hot block to the table and it's like 450 degrees and you like you get like sugar cubes oh, no. of wagyu and you cook it yourself and they've got the himalayan salt and uh, a little bit of oil and it's it's absolutely to die for it's phenomenal oh man that sounds like heaven it's phenomenal does now, it really just melt in your mouth it literally does oh, like i've man. eaten it raw too Man. Just just to freak people out at the table. <laughs> yeah. Like with no idea of what the fuck's gonna happen. I see a lot of people on like TikTok and like these like I had this one dude on uh and uh he's on like this raw liver diet or something like where <laughs> yeah. these like these like fucking beefy beefy guys and uh uh the, the, the people are on this like raw meat kick right now and I, I think I'm like the world's just so fucked up I'm like even if I, I wanted to do that I don't know if I would like the, I feel like the soil is so tainted you know what I mean like I feel even you gotta if, raise your own <laughs> yeah like I, I'd have to like build my own earth I feel like you know what I think I can't think of like 
what about the greenhouse gas? And like, you, you would have all this, the scientific knowledge of what to say. But like, I think of like, at the end of the day, I'm like, everything's tainted. So it's like, you know, we try the best that we can, but at the end of the day, I'm like, oh, this shit's tainted. Oh yeah. What's your favorite book as we wrap up? Favorite book. Oh, I'm a big fan of nonfiction. Um, Charlie LaDuff wrote, uh, he's my favorite journalist. He wrote, uh, uh, the Detroit autopsy. Um, and, uh, I'm originally from Detroit. Uh, originally families from Detroit moved around a bit when I grew up, but, um, family still, uh, our grandparents and extended family are all still in Detroit. I'm big parents fan. out here. Uh, parents are in Fort Wayne, Indiana. Oh, okay, cool. But, um, but he wrote, uh, like, a, an autopsy of Detroit of what happened from it being the richest city yeah, in the dude. world after. Rogan you talks think, about it. Like, you guys had a bunch of, like, car oh manufacturers gosh. there. Yeah, yeah, the big three. Um, yeah, so. Uh, big union. Yeah. It was oh, really the, big. Yeah, United Auto Workers are, yeah, still there. Um, but, yeah, after, after World War II, it was the production capital of the world. It was the richest city in the world. It was, like, the Dubai of, and granted, a lot of that was because of, uh, World War II decimating all of Europe and yeah. all of that, and they were in the process of rebuilding. But they went from the wealthiest um, uh, city in the world to of like population of like 1.9 million or 2 million almost um, down to 200,000, and it going bankrupt in 2008, and everybody leaving. And the um, General Motors, Chrysler, and Ford are the big three car companies. They've all in some company sense have been overtaken by toyota and volkswagen and other places um so it's just been crazy and then what do you do with all the homes that are decaying from the 1.9 million people and all that stuff he wrote this extensive novel on on um pretty much what happened in a super narrative way of and just a million different factors of like overreaching corrupt unions corrupt politicians um changing business tides of free trade when you've got all of the cars being produced on a line well that's um that's that's really great for a city because you've got blue collar jobs of assembly working you've got engineering jobs of that you've got finance jobs and business jobs got jobs for anybody under the sun and then when free trade opens up well you get rid of two-thirds of those jobs because we ship them to wherever because there's cheaper labor wherever else and then all of a sudden you need to go to college to get this job and then at a certain point you don't even need to go to college to get the job but they still want you to go to college to get the job <laughs> and yeah. there's no st- and when your entire city is revolving around three companies then those three companies take a hit the whole city takes a hit yeah. and you've got politicians filling their pockets throughout the entire way and, and the unions probably and the unions in. just yeah filling everything up it's 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 just crazy what happened over the course of, and and racial tensions too that's a huge part yeah um of a lot of uh a lot of uh uh black people came up from the south to get um industry jobs yeah. like in world war ii whatnot caused a ton of race riots yeah uh, or i mean they didn't cause it yeah but yeah just crazy um, anything else you want to add? Shout out friends, family, new endeavors, businesses, anything at all. Shout out, um, shout out family, of course, and shout out Elevate Tonight is where we met. Um, yes. yeah, Chicago uh, nightclub scene. Yeah, Elevate Tonight's great, great yes. periodic event. But yeah, absolutely, dude. This was phenomenal. If people want to study any of your additional research articles or anything, do you have anything published? 
or um, anything? Any, right anything? now, yeah. uh, a lot of the stuff that I'm doing right now is trade secret. <laughs> so, okay, this is all secret. Yeah. So, um, well, I guess just stay tuned. Yeah. yeah, keep looking out for Will Blodgett. So, right. thank you again, brother. This thank was you so awesome. much. It's been awesome. Learned a lot. So, yes. sounds good. Peace. Peace.